I can start if you want. No, I got it. Okay. Ready? Three, two, one. Sometimes in life, this is for Philadelphia. You have to make extremely difficult and soul searching decisions. We talking about practice. Well, we are here again. I'm Dave Murphy. Uh, columnist with the Philadelphia Daily News. I don't. I don't really know how to start these things off. It's, it's very I, awkward. It's kind of like I can intru- help if you want. I it's it's kind of like introducing <laughs> yourself to a um, member of the sex that you are interested in at the bar. <laughs> I can't say opposite sex. I, I mean, it could be the. I guess it could be the same sex. For my, Jonathan, in my yeah. case, it would be the opposite sex. I'm Jonathan Tannenwald of Philly.com. Mike Sealski is not here. He is on assignment. In case anybody's wondering. He was not carried off by a pitchfork-toting mob that doesn't understand satire. <laughs> he is, in fact, okay. He's just out working on a story yeah, at the moment. That would be fun, though. Um, but yeah, so I don't know if you guys have ever uh, introduced a podcast before. I would hope not. Um, I have once or twice. But okay. It, it's just kind of awkward. You just kind of have to, like, you're sitting here in this room in front of a microphone, and you just kind of have to start talking. And it's, I can't see you, so I don't know who I'm talking to, and I don't know really the proper way to get into all of this. But this is what we're going to get into today. Um, this is what I want to talk about. I don't know if Jonathan JT. It's your show, if, so you talk about. I don't know if want. JT has any uh, anything anything he would like to talk about. But Sam Bradford's contract is the number one uh, thing on my agenda today. I think that this is a very interesting situation. Uh, I think Sam Bradford, barring uh, catastrophic injury, will absolutely be back here next year in Philadelphia. Uh, I don't. I don't think there was a ton of doubt about that. To be honest with you, if you actually looked at it logically, there just aren't a whole lot of other options out there. Uh, but Chip Kelly kind of offered some clarity to that situation. Uh, I love Chip. I, you know, he he pretends like something. All, all training camp, the guy downplays uh, questions about Bradford's future. Everyone wants him to declare Bradford the franchise quarterback. That Bradford will be here forever. That that, you know, this is a marriage. This isn't just a tryout. And, and Chip Kelly the whole time insists that there's an open competition between Mark Sanchez and Sam Bradford insists that he's only looking one day at a time that they're only worried about this year that they'll cross whatever bridge when they come to it and yesterday somebody has the temerity to ask Chip Kelly um it might have even been our Les Bowen uh had the temerity to ask Chip Kelly if he thought that this relationship would extend into the future with Sam Bradford and the the Chip Kelly said the response was Quote, we've always wanted Sam here. We wouldn't have traded him if we thought he was only going to be here for a year. Well, duh. Sorry. And and, and, and Les pointed out uh, in his blog post yesterday after Chip's press conference, that was a much stronger endorsement than anybody ever gave Nick Foles. Well, that's because Nick Foles is not good. Well, and if you had paid attention to what I was writing for the previous two years, you would have known that. But well, I, I noticed what you wrote on Monday. What did I write? Quote, I, don't, I don't even remember But the that. guy was phenomenal, and that's been something of a trend here lately about Sam Bradford. Playing his position at a very high level right now, higher than he has, you wrote, in any point in his NFL career. Yeah. Well, that's the thing about Sam Bradford, because I, for whatever reason, probably because I'm a compulsive gambler, um, I, uh, or is that compulsive? Yeah, compulsive, I would say I am. Um, I watched a lot of Sam Bradford uh, when he was with the St. Louis Rams. And uh, I, n- I never thought that he could play as well as I've seen him play these last four or five weeks. And, and frankly, if you've been listening to this podcast all season, I, I think he's been playing this way since since I, I remember the Saints game. Everybody wanted to focus on the interceptions, and, and I kind of felt like a man on an island defending Sam Bradford. Um, so I have to thank him for, for coming through. Um, but, yeah, I, I never thought Sam Bradford was this caliber of a quarterback. I think his footwork has improved a lot, um, and I think that's – yeah, I think we even talked about this 
at, at one point, you know, way back when about, about the footwork and if, if he had improved on that. And he's actually talked a lot about that um, lately. And I think I wrote this in my, my column on Sunday's game, after Sunday's game, if you watch that 53-yard uh, touchdown pass to Nelson Aguilar. Um, Who needed that touchdown pass pretty badly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, if you watch that, that was not an easy throw. Um, first of all, the throw was great. Um, but, you know, he had to keep his eyes down the field and avoid step up and slide slide around a pass rush from Marcel Darius. And um, I mean, he just looked like a he, he, that looked like a throw that Sam Bradford, you know, three or four years ago doesn't make. Forget about the injury, forget about anything else. I think that I I really think Sam Bradford has improved as an as a quarterback this year, and and I think that part of it could be uh, he's exposed to coaching, uh, very good coaching for the first time. Um, part of it is well, that's a statement because a lot of people don't think Chip Kelly's very good at it. But well, I mean, I mean, I think you're probably right. What I what I wonder is put it this way: he's yeah. not he's not Brian Schottenheimer. No. What, what I wonder is, we say often about running backs, and we've seen this to be true about DeMarco Murray, a running back is sometimes the talent is disguised by the caliber of the offensive line. So how much of a, how much of a factor in Sam Bradford's success has Jason Peters been? Uh, well, I mean, I, I don't know. Look, I, th- I think Jason Peters had a very good day on Sunday. Um, I think the offensive line, for the most part, uh, held up pretty well against the tough Bills front. Uh, you know, he, he took some shots later in the game, but all in all, I thought they, I thought they played pretty well. Um, it's a simpleton's question I realize, but I tend to be a simpleton about football. So, well, I just don't think, I don't know that Jason Peters has, has played all that well this year. I mean, he's missed, he's missed some games. He's missed some time. Um, you know, the offensive line, this, this is the first game really that, that we've, we've, uh, this in the Dallas game, I think probably have been their two, uh, two best games of the year. Uh, they're starting to come together a little bit, especially in pass protection. But but yeah, I, I don't know if I can. I mean, I don't know if this line's any better than what Sam would have been playing. I don't know if this line has played any better than what Sam would have been playing, um, playing behind in St. Louis. Um, although St. Louis's is pretty bad, but I, I think Sam. Honestly, I think the coaching. Um, I think wh- whoever, and maybe it's him. Um, whoever has gotten him to kind of think with his feet and play with his feet. Um, Pat Shermer, I think, probably has a lot to do with it. I think that's he's probably a very that's probably one area. I mean, it was obvious to anybody who watched the guy that he needed to work on his pocket presence, his his uh, you know his his lower half. Pat Shermer was saying in the locker room after on on Sunday that that and and this is the corollary with baseball too. I mean, everything starts with your lower half. Um, it was one of Philippe Lamont's problems. Uh, he just he did not have a very strong lower I'm half. Almost forgotten about him. Yeah, but I mean, it's it's that's where it all starts. And it, I always say, if you want to know about a quarterback, watch his don't watch his arm, don't watch don't watch the ball, just watch his feet. You can tell watch Andrew Luck watch Andrew Luck from the waist down sometime. Um, not to get risque or anything, um, but but watch him from the waist down sometime. And it's just he's he's the best. He's got the best work, footwork. Him and him and Rogers really have the best footwork of of any quarterback going today. And you can just tell that they're that, that's where it starts with them. So um, let me ask you this. We figure that Sam Bradford's going to get a contract extension probably after the season because that's how these things tend to get done. Right. You're the math wizard. How do you do it? Well, that's so I'm I'm, and that that to me is the, the fascinating question right now. I mean, we'll talk about Eagles playoff scenarios too. Um, it's interesting. I, th- I think that, that that Giants game could still be meaningless if if the Giants lose to the the Panthers or the Vikings and and the Eagles beat the Cardinals and the Redskins, which I don't think is that far out of the out of the equation i mean it's just it would be fascinating if a team if the eagles have eight wins and and have already clinched a playoff berth going into week 17 but but as for bradford i think the eagles really don't have much of a choice um 
again, you got you have to look at who if you if you let Sam Bradford walk. I mean, I I I got emails out the wazoo on Monday after I wrote that Sam Bradford has looked like a guy who's absolutely worth a contract extension. And you know, is he Tom Brady? No, but but people thought people think it's ridiculous. But but who if you let Sam Bradford walk, who is your quarterback? Tell me that, JT. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, Mark said you- I mean, Robert Robert Griffin's the only other name I've even heard the fans try to want. It, it yeah, has I mean, more to do with, and look, I don't know all the ins and outs of the Eagles' salary cap. People yeah, well, know that I I don't follow the NFL as in depth as other folks, but that's more what I'm wondering about is what what the cap consideration has to be here when you try to figure out what Sam Bradford's worth. But again, you know, it's interesting. Put it this way: he's worth at least twenty. He, he's worth no more than twenty million dollars because that's about what he would get if they franchise tagged him. Um, so it's not like they're going to be they're not, It's not like they're going to be bidding for him on an open market. Um, you know, they'll franchise him, and, and then he'll have some leverage because, you know, you want to get that. I mean, I mean, look at the, if you look at the quarterbacks that have signed contracts, um, usually their cap number uh, is, is between eight and 12 million. Um, you know, that's how they structure it. Uh, so so as as much guaranteed money as is involved. On a year-to-year basis, it's actually not a not a not a horrendous cap number. Um, I think Brady's is a, is around eight million, so that's a that's a very big difference from twenty million. And and you know, keep in mind that Sam Bradford's cap number this year is is somewhere between thirteen and fifteen million, um, which was one of the big arguments against trading for him. Um, but you know, I think that I mean, if you look at like the I think Jay Cutler probably is a very good comparison. <laughs> I mean, in terms yeah. just in terms of like it's it's not an it's it's not going to be. He's he's clearly not a top five quarter. He's not Tom Brady. He's not Peyton Manning. Back in the day, he's not you know Andrew Luck. Um, Ryan Tannehill just signed a contract for twenty four million guaranteed. I think Cutler's was forty million guaranteed. And, and look, I, I think that's somewhere between twenty four and forty million guaranteed with a cap number between eight and ten million dollars a year. I I can't stand Jay Cutler. That's part of the reason why I'm making all these sound effects in the back. Yeah, but I mean that's you know. that's the, that's just right. the range that he's in. I mean so, it's just what quarterbacks get paid. Right. So. One of the things that I find interesting about any potential deal, and obviously length of a contract in the NFL is useless because you can cut a guy whenever you want, but it would make a statement, I think, about what the Eagles really think of Sam Bradford, of how many years are on that contract, wouldn't it? Uh, it's more about the guaranteed money in the NFL. Um, and I think you're going to be looking at a situation where, um, I mean, there's so many different ways to structure it. Uh, you know, Colin Kaepernick, for example... When he signed his contract, it was only two years ago, and I remember this because Nick Foles, this was supposed to be, you know, the Nick Foles comparison. Um, it was back when Nick Foles was coming off his big year in 2013. Uh, Kaepernick signed a deal that was reported. I mean, it was. I think it was reported in the in the uh, nine digits. I mean, I think it was was, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars that was reported for. And now two years later, they the the, the Niners can get out of it without so much as a you know so much as anything really i don't i don't think he has any guaranteed money for next year um so that would be here's, one way here's what it was six year 114 yeah. million dollar contract right 12 million dollars in signing bonus 61 million dollars guaranteed average annual salary of 19 million right but yeah i mean to your to, i guess to your point about the guaranteed money what whatever factor but, that's, but, but look right. but i guess what i'm saying is i just remember <laughs> it was an enormous amount of money it didn't well matter. no i remember the uh i remember the uh i mean twitter's just so great in the wake of these things because it, it was you know that the 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 immediate reaction was well if Colin Kaepernick is worth six years and a hundred billion dollars then what is right. Nick Foles worth right. and and now two years later we're everyone's realizing a six year deal is not a six year deal uh, right. in, in, in the NFL what, but yeah I, I think look something that proves 
not only that something that proves that the Eagles' belief in Sam Bradford is more than just words. Um, yeah, you know, I, I again, I, I don't think that there's really a whole lot of I don't, I don't know that they have a whole lot of op. They don't have many options, you know. Right, I mean, he, again, like right, like like yeah. I don't know that the Bears always believe in Jay Cutler, but they had to give him what they had to give him, or else right. they were going to play with Josh McCown, you know. Right. Um, with Bradford, I think I think the one thing to keep in mind is. Um, I would be surprised if, if, if this contract has a ton of ramifications beyond year three or four, which at that point you can still draft a young quarterback. You know, if you have a first round pick and you got a guy that you love in the draft this year and, and you signed Sam Bradford, I don't think a Sam Bradford contract extension takes that off the table at all. Uh, I mean, look at who's the best quarterback in the game right now. Aaron Rodgers, in my opinion. Um, in most people's opinion. Right. And, and, and guess what? He, he sat for three years. You know, they, they drafted him at number 24. Um, I don't think they knew though at the time that he was going to be. No, but they took a quarter. But but, yeah. but the point is, you know, there's nothing wrong with a guy sitting for three years before he steps into the lineup. Um, in fact, it might even help him. Um, so I don't think that. I think what people are looking at it. The reaction that I got via email, via Twitter, um, via the comment section on your esteemed website, Philly.com. Um, the, the reaction I got was, "This is an either-or proposition where the Eagles by signing Sam Bradford." For, to a contract extension will be, you know, getting married to him for lack of a better term, that, that there's no going back. Uh, but that's just not how it works. You know, I mean, none, none of these contracts, even the DeMarco Murray contract beyond year three, there's really not a whole lot of ramifications. Um, so I think that that, that should not, enter, I don't think that should enter into the consideration at all. I mean, again, the suggestion that the Eagles should say goodbye to Sam Bradford and spend a year with Mark Sanchez, just because Sam Bradford's not Tom Brady is, it's just not, it's not the way things work. I, I thought, honestly, I mean, I remember a year ago thinking they're going to sit on this year and see what happens and then go for a Dak Prescott or somebody like that who was coming out of college who they might think. But they can still Harley. do that. Right, exactly. That's your point. They might still. Um, and I, you know, Prescott sort of fell off the map a little bit this year and most of the quarterbacks in college football anymore are not that great. But I'll be very interested uh, also to see what kind of moves they make in the draft. And you want to talk about playoff scenarios. Playoffs? quote the old phrase and, and and it's fascinating to me and quite consequential that Sunday night's game against Arizona is irrelevant to this thing because it's well, not it, entirely irrelevant but they could if they win the two division games yeah they win the division and it doesn't matter um what happens Sunday night including if they get smoked which I think there's a very good possibility uh I don't know I mean Arizona's coming I, I think Look at it this way. Put it this way. I, I think that the Eagles were not happy that this game got moved to primetime um, because you always want to, you know, you want the West Coast. The, the track record of that yeah. team, particularly the Cardinals coming west, has not been very good. Although they have had some extra days off to get ready for this thing because they played Thursday last week. Right. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is, I, I just don't know if this is shaping up to be a blowout on either side of the ball. Um, Arizona's a lot different team on the road uh, than they are at home. But um, but yeah, to your point, I don't know if irre- I don't think it's as irrelevant as as, as a lot of people think. Because again, uh, you know, it is very 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 within the realm of possibility that the Giants lose to the Vikings or the Panthers, right? Oh, absolutely. Right. I would say it's probably more in the realm. I, I th- it's probably more likely that the Eagles win their next two games than the Giants win their next two games. Um, if the Giants do not win their next two games and the Eagles win their next two games, then that last game of the season is irrelevant. Because the Eagles hold the tiebreaker. Uh, if the Eagles beat the Cardinals and the Redskins and the Giants lose to either the Panthers or the Vikings, then both teams would be sitting at uh, 
eight. Uh, what would they have? Eight. Both teams would have eight wins. Uh, or the Eagles would have eight wins heading into that last game of the season. The Giants would be playing to win eight games. Right. Um, so that therefore that game and, would be and relevant. The Eagles because, have, because right. the Eagles have the division tiebreaker. Right. Best division record. So the, the Giants, both those games against Carolina and Minnesota are at home. It, at MetLife. And I just, I can't, I don't think the Giants are good enough to beat the Panthers. But you know that everybody's going to be well, going bonkers up there because they're on the field. <laughs> I'm with Ronnie Harris. I, I, I'm with Ronnie Harris. And I... And this will be the end of me and the end of my credibility if I ever had any. Uh, but I just don't like that Panthers team. I think anybody can beat that Panthers team. Well, I'm, I don't necessarily disagree with you, but it hasn't happened yet. Well, I know, but I but when you're saying I when you say you don't think the Giants are good enough to beat them, I think they are. I, mean, well, I, I, well, I, I frankly I don't think, think the think Giants the, are good enough to beat anybody. I don't think the Giants are good enough to beat them, but that doesn't mean they won't. Uh, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. I guess we're splitting hairs there, but uh, but yeah. Look. This game is not as irrelevant as, as people think. Um, I think the Eagles, frankly, have a very good chance on on uh, on Sunday. Um, the NFL is very weird this year, and you know the Cardinals. If you look, I mean, just look at. There, there's a lot of teams that have given the Cardinals a game this year. Uh, I mean, there's a lot of teams that haven't too. But I think uh, I, think, I think it's crazy. I really think frankly, the one I think against Washington is the big one. What's that? I think the one against Washington is the really big one. Yeah, I mean they're all look. Look, put it this way: if the Eagles, if the Eagles beat the Redskins, or they beat the Giants. It doesn't matter what they do against the Cardinals. Um, you know, the the one common thread, like you said, is is they need to beat the Redskins, and um, they should have beat the Redskins the first time around. I mean, it was just I I still can't I just can't wrap my head around that 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 loss. I said it at the, at the time, and we probably said it on this podcast. If they miss the playoffs, that's going to be the game that they look back on and say. Man, I mean, if they think about it, if they have that win right now, uh, you know, oh, they yeah. they might be able to, they might even be able to clinch with a victory next week. They might even be able to clinch with a victory over oh, Arizona. If they if they have that win, among many other things, we aren't possibly staring down the barrel of a sub five hundred team making the playoffs in the NFL this year. But uh, the, no. the the so it's going to be watch the, the Landovers, as I like to call them, because I grew up down that way. Not the Raljons? Uh, well, it's not called. I don't think it's been called Raljon since no, it was, Snyder. It was only called. For, it was only called Raljon for one year. Um, the Landovers host the Bills this weekend, which I presume they're going to win that game. And then Deshaun Jackson. I, mean, I don't think there's a presumption. That's the thing about the NFL this year, man. You, there's, there's like no presumption well, whatsoever. They, they might. I mean, are the Bills if, are the Bills a better team than the Redskins? I, are the Redskins a better team than the Bills? I have no idea at this point. Right. I think the actually, Bills can't get out of their own way is the problem. I'll say this. I don't think Tyrod Taylor can throw the football very well. Um, and I think the whole notion that we're just kind of spitballing here now, but you know, the notion that, that the Eagles made some egregious error by not signing Tyrod Taylor, which I've heard. I've mentioned, heard that too. Um, it's pretty ridiculous. I mean, if you look, I mean, come on. Yeah, the, the notion that Chip Kelly needs a running quarterback. It's, it, it's probably one of the biggest myths about this Eagles team. And, and frankly, other than Cam Newton, there just aren't running quarterbacks. I mean, yeah, Russell Wilson can make plays with his feet, but he's, he's a, a truck. He's a passer. Where right. Tyrod Taylor is not a passer, and we saw that. I mean, if Tyrod Taylor can can just make a couple of basic throws, it might be a different game. So now, they, don't get me wrong; he throws right. a decent. De- I'm not saying he can't right. throw at all. It's it's you know he threw a, he, that was a nice pass to Sammy Watkins, but but I mean he he he's just not. He's not a guy that you would be wanting to commit. Let's play this scenario out. Eagles lose to Arizona. Landovers beat Buffalo. Deshaun Jackson comes preening in here 
on a Saturday night, and who knows what he's going to do after the game. <laughs> um, we already know that LaShawn McCoy had some free time to himself after. I saw that. Uh, after uh, the Bills game here. So we know what kind of Did you go to that party? I, I was not invited, that's for sure. Uh, Deshaun Jackson's going to come in here doing who knows what. And uh, I think that's going to be the big one. I really do. All right, so I'm jumping way back now. Russell Willis is finally loaded on my phone. We don't have very good cell reception here. Uh, Russell Wilson signed for $31.7 million total guaranteed. Average guarantee a year is 8 point. So I was wrong. You know, I was wrong about the cap numbers. That's I was looking at average guaranteed money. Um, I think you'll be looking. I mean, just eyeballing it here. I think I think Sam Bradford's probably in line for somewhere between five million and eight million guaranteed a year. Um, and look, if he pl- if he plays as well against Arizona as he has the last couple games, even if even if the Eagles lose, because Carson Palmer is good enough. I think I think by that point, most of the critics will have begrudged the fact that Bradford has merited sticking around for some amount of time. Yeah, I mean, all right. So, so here's the Tannehill quarterback. Here, here's the Tannehill contract. He signed for Tannehill. Now, keep in mind, was a first round pick three years ago or four years ago in that Andrew Luck draft, and he signed for this this, uh, this off season, I believe it was. His cap number is going to be about $20 million, uh in 2017, 19, that, that 20. so bad. The Dolphins, yeah. So you, you know what? That's just what quarterbacks go for is, right. is, is you know, 15 to $20 million a year. And I think the key fact to keep in mind is is, is the Eagles can structure a, a contract where they're committing to Sam Bradford essentially for the next three years. Um, that doesn't affect anything that they – that shouldn't affect anything that they do in the draft. Um, you know, clearly if there's a guy who they think who, who they're in love with, who, who they see as a Russell Wilson type, say in the second round or the late first round, you, you, you take him, you know, and, and if you end up with two good quarterbacks, it's not a bad thing. Uh, but, but there's, this team has a ton of holes to fill. And I think that more than anything was the takeaway from that bills game. Um, was they, just, just, they, how, just how bad they need playmakers right now. And they've got a hold probably that they need to open and get him rid of DeMarco Murray somehow or other. I don't know if that's going to happen. I just don't know. I mean, they can't cut him. Well, if, if they can find somebody stupid enough to take him to trade. That's but who's going to do that? You know? There are, stupid, um, there are stupid people out there in the NFL. Yeah, you know, I don't know how dumb it would be. I mean, DeMar- look, DeMarco Murray still serves a purpose. Let's not, get, let's, not, let's not get too overboard. I mean, the whole notion that he is behind Kenyon Barner on the depth chart we saw was a fallacy on Sunday. And, and it's strictly because of ball security. I mean, you, you want to... Look, the guy doesn't fumble all that much. He can catch the ball. Um, he can block. You know, he does some things that that he's a dependable guy. Look, Trent Richardson got traded for a first round draft pick, and Demarco Murray's better than Trent Richardson. Um, so yeah, I mean, I you know, if a team, you know, if Dallas is willing to t- pay Demarco Murray eight million dollars next year, yeah, but I just as don't. As think, I but, said, there's some stupid people in the NFL, right? But 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 I don't know that that's going to be the case uh, because again. Anybody could have agreed to pay him that this offseason, and and you know the Eagles won the bidding war for a reason. Nobody was willing to to give him what the Eagles gave him. Um, but I mean that's almost besides the point. I mean they need they need the offensive line is is a is a serious 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 question mark moving forward. Uh, you know Jason Peters, our Les Bowen has reported that he's got a kind of a degenerative chronic condition in his back. 
you know, are you willing, I think it's six and a half million. They can pretty much is, is the split there between his cap number and, and you know what they'd have to eat. Um, so can you, you know, can you find a better left tackle for six and a half million dollars or at least a left tackle that's going to you yeah, know be that, on the field? That, that's, and that's, I think, I don't know if the answer is going to be better, but you got to you got to do something before the clock runs out. All of a sudden, Jason Peters is a lot worse. Yeah, but the point is, I mean, you got to you got to, I mean, you don't want to draft for need in the NFL draft, but th- they have a lot of needs beyond quarterback. That's right. the point. I mean, they need a wide receiver. They absolutely need a wide receiver. That's I think that more than anything has been has been the the, the lesson of these last. And three I, or four I don't weeks. know if they're going to get one because I don't I don't I think the good ones are going to be gone by the time they're. Yeah, I mean, they would have to sign. I mean. Look, receiver, they can get receiver, a they can get a wide receiver in the draft, but they can't get. I don't think they potentially elite one. I think they'll. Well, no, I mean you can't. You saw what you were seeing with Nelson Aguilar. You can't, and this is why you can't draft for need in the NFL draft because there's certain guys who just can't play in the NFL, or at the very least, can't play right away. Well, I, well right away is a big. I think Aguilar eventually will be able to. He just right. he couldn't get thrown right in the fire. But that's that's going to be the same. The same is true for just about any position. Right. I mean, it, there's. You don't want to be depending on the NFL draft to fill your 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 uh, your offensive line vacancies either. Um, it's a uh, look, man. There's gonna be some very interesting. Uh, it's crazy that we're talking about the playoffs even. Um, Whatever we can do to sell some papers. <laughs> no, I mean it's just it's it's. There's so many issues with this team long term that it's it's just kind of bizarre that we we even have to remind ourselves that oh yeah by the way they'll be they could be hosting a home playoff game um but yeah i mean whoa that was my phone serious serious looking to become a guest analyst on the podcaster (laughs) yeah so anyway um where are we going well i can't talk to you about soccer i can't talk to you about hockey i i can't really talk about college basketball i think we're struggling here without mike sealski i I do want to ask you a couple of baseball questions because the phillies have very quietly made a lot of moves and it, not that volume alone solves a problem, but I, I was reading some stuff over the last couple of days, and Matt Breen, who was out at the GM's meetings in Nashville, and this was the numbers that he gave before the Ken Giles trade was official, and there were even more players in the deal. In 12 months, the Phillies traded seven players in exchange for 16 prospects. And, t- and 10 of those prospects among, are now among the Phillies' top 16. That changed a little bit once the Giles deal was finalized because, as I said, there were some more players in it. I didn't have time before coming in here to crunch all the numbers. But Matt, Matt Clintac, the new GM, does not appear to be kidding around here. I like him. I, I, uh, I think he's doing – I mean, I'm, I'm a little biased because he's doing everything that I would do. So um, I'm naturally going to like him. Put it this way, I, I'm not sure if Ruben Amaro Jr. makes this trade. And I you know, I don't want to I don't think so. I don't want to um now look, they Ruben made some really really good moves. Um or the front office in general made some some really good moves this summer. Um I thought they maximized Cole Hamels just about you know, they I mean they got as good a return as I thought they were gonna get. Um You know, they've added you know, they, I think they got more out of Utley and Rollins than I thought they were gonna get. But Clintac trading Giles is 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 the kind of thing that the that the Phillies need to be doing to get back to to to, to shorten their window of stinking right um, as much as possible. That's uh, they need to be aggressive. They need to they can't just sit back and let 
draft picks accumulate. They need to find ways to to make sure they're maximizing the assets at their disposal. And Ken Giles was one of those assets. He's a good pitcher, very fun to watch. But look, pitches an inning at a time, two or three innings, you know, a week max. When he's got a safe situation in the first place. And now, yeah, and, and now at the very least, I, I'm a big proponent of the law of averages when it comes to prospects. I mean, scouting's important, but... I mean, thir- you know, 70% of these kids are not going to pan out, even even the best prospects. We saw this with Dominic Brown. We've seen it with Kyle Trebek. I mean, just look at, look at case in point, look at all the players that, that the Phillies traded away for all of those pitchers. And right now, I mean, Jay Happ is probably the most successful out of, <laughs> out of yeah. all of them. And he was probably the, had the lowest ceiling out of all of them. And, uh, you know, Travis Diarnud is uh, you know, contributing. But even like Jonathan Singleton hasn't done anything yet. Anthony Ghost hasn't done anything yet. Um, I think that you need to... I would always err on the side of give me more prospects than give me elite prospects. Do you know, what I'm like if it was yeah. a choice between two B prospects and one A prospects, I take the two B prospects. And I think what you're hoping for, what you're hoping for out of all of these moves that they've made over the last year, you're hoping for if they end up with two guys who are a, who are fixtures in this rotation for for the next five or six years, it it was wildly successful. And and, um, we, we, we and think, I think that yeah. they've, I think that they've. It's it, to me, it's all about. It's like an investment strategy. It's like building a portfolio. Uh, and and uh, Matt, uh, Matt Klintak actually talked about this a little bit. Um, you need to balance, you know, uh, the you have you have huge upside, say, with a guy like Vincent Velasquez. I mean, he's he's got stuff, um, but but there's also significant risk. Um, you know, he, he didn't pitch all that well last year. He's had some, you know, he's had some uh, had some injury concerns. But you kind of then balance that out with, you know, all right, we, we've got a couple guys now that we think are, uh, you know, an Oberholzer, an Eshelman, guys who might be, um, a li- have a little lower ceiling, but have a better chance at contributing at the very least in a number four, number five role. I think Appel, I think that's a great addition to this trade. I mean, again, you're just hoping that one of these guys hits. Like maybe Velasquez ends up, maybe Velasquez breaks down. Maybe Appel, Appel bring, breaks down. You know, maybe... Uh, uh, Eikhoff breaks down, but it, as long as one of those guys hits, this is kind of what the Mets did. Now the Mets got lucky a little bit because Syndergaard hit, um, Degrom hit, Harvey their draft pick hit, Wheeler hit. Um, you know, in a perfect world, that's what that's what ends up with the Phillies. And at that point, you know, you're talking about contending within two years. Um, but I think Klintak has a pretty good uh. He has a pretty good outlook on this thing. You just need volume. You need to you need to bring guys in, get a look at them, um, and just hope that the law of averages work in, works in your favor. We forget a little bit. Well, you and I don't forget, but other folks might have. The Phillies farm system was pretty shallow. Yeah, and that, although this by the helps end, that too. Although by the end, although by the end of last year, and again, cr- you know, credit where credit is due. Um, by the by the time Clentac and McPhail came aboard, uh, the Phillies farm system was was improving. Um, in the esteem of, of the people who get paid to kind of prognosticate and, and evaluate farm systems. I know Keith law, baseball, America, baseball perspectives, all of them had, had the Phillies as a farm system on the rise. Um, you know, a lot of that has to do with the presence of JP Crawford, uh, their draft pick, Aaron Nola, a draft pick, but that Texas trade did a lot for the system. You know, um, Nick Williams, they've, they've added a lot of, They've added a lot of variety to their to their portfolio, um, and again, they're a t- the, the Phillies are a team who can spend some money, and that 2018 free agent class um, 
you know, it, it could be setting up for the Phillies and Yankees to kind of go to war with each other. I mean, you got Brandon Belt, Eric Hosmer, uh, Andrew McCutcheon, I think, is in that. It's a pretty good class. If you have Michael Franco and one of these other position and JP Crawford, and then one of these other position guys like a Nick Williams or a Jorge Alfaro, um, if one of those guys hits, uh, you've got three players there that you can then supplement, um, you know, via free agency. Well, let me ask you a couple. Well, Alf, you mentioned. I mean, that's what the yeah. look at what the Mets did. That's that's exactly what that was the Mets. And and you've got the firepower to. I think kind of importantly now, I, look, people know I grew up in Washington. The Nationals are a dumpster fire right now. And the Phillies have a chance, I think, if they time this out right, to jump them. Uh, the, Mets, the Mets aren't going anywhere yet. But uh, I think the Nationals are in big trouble. Yeah, but you the know Phillies what? The Phillies have a chance, in, the Mets, as you said, in 18 or so. to. The Mets, the, Mets, the Mets to me are just, it's got to be infuriating to be a Mets fan because this is. The, it's always infuriating to be the, a Mets fan. They, they yeah. got a window right now, and, it, and it's, it's shrinking. Right. Um, I mean, Harvey's, that, 2018, that's Harvey's class, too. Um, you know, they're already halfway through their window. And I think what you're to me, the, the, everyone asked me, when are the Phillies going to be good again? I think 2018 at this point, it's a pretty good, as long as again, say two, as long as Crawford, Nola and Franco are productive and healthy, if they can just get three, you know, two pitchers, and a position player out of out of all these deals that they that they've swung over the last year, eighteen is when they're contending. Two thousand eighteen, they can they can then put the pedal to the metal yeah. a little bit, and and then that that will be where their next four to six year window starts. Um, the thing I'm actually, I know I have a reputation for being kind of a curmudgeon. Uh, I, <laughs> that wasn't all. You haven't always had it. Well, yeah, I mean, I I. I would, I would like to think I'm realistic. I mean, I was, I believe me, I, I, I don't think I ever got, I was accused of being overly positive in 2008, 2009. I was going to say you were the Phillies beat right of the year. They right. won the world series. So, but, um, but it, so it feels weird to actually, um, say something like this, but I, you know, I don't think that they're going to be, they're not going to be an embarrassment next year. No, I don't um, think they are either. And I think that's kind of, that was kind of the, I kind of had an aha, uh, an aha moment looking at this, um, looking at this deal for, uh, Giles. I mean, they, they've got at least seven guys who can pitch in a big league, who either have pitched in a big league rotation or can pitch in a big league rotation. They've got Nolan Eikhoff. Um, and then they have, you know, a slew of guys who, 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 who can at the very least give you 150 to 200 innings of, you know, potentially potential potentially league average uh league average ball i mean helixson making the move from from arizona that thin air um you know previously he was in the american league uh who else do we got here charlie morton again i just named four guys that are probably are, are probably better than their number two starter heading into last season um right who even was the number two starter heading the last season? I don't remember. <laughs> but Theoretically, it was Cliff Lee, but he never played. But yeah, they're not. The problem with the last couple of years is they they were they were like an embar- they were an embarrassment. Right. I mean they 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 had they were running guys they were running Giammar Gomez out there starting games. They're running they're just running guys out there that did not belong on major league mounts. Uh, you know, by the end of it, harang. You know, just just guys are breaking down, and and that's not going to be the case next year unless unless they get. Really, really unlucky. I just, you know, I, I think about the fact that it took Ruben Amaro, and, and I've 
I don't know Amaro's psychology as well as you do. It took him so long to finally give up on playing the veterans and really give the young guys serious time and innings. Yeah, you know, I th- and Klintak, Klintak's not going to be beholden to anybody in that way. You know, I, I think that that's that's one. Uh, I think that's one area where Ruben maybe got a little bit of a raw deal. Um, the problem was they didn't have any young guys to play really. Um, you know, I mean. Look, I thought they should have been playing Dominic Brown a year earlier, but Dominic Brown didn't pan out. You know, no. uh, I was wrong about Dominic Brown, and that was Brown's fault, not anybody else's, or so uh, it seems. Oh uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's you know, it's he just wasn't. It just didn't work. You know, like I said, seventy percent of the, you know most of these guys aren't going to pan out, even the best ones. Um, and I so I don't I don't know where. Look, they played a lot of young guys last year, and they led the major league. They, they led the majors in losses. So I, I don't know that that was their problem. I think that their problem was they didn't do things like trade. Like, put it this way, Ken, trading Ken Giles, even if this was 2010, would have been a good move for that organization because it would have gotten that, it would have kept yep. that young talent right. flowing. And if you're looking, the frustrating thing with the Phillies uh, under the old regime is that they always seem to be... Loyal. Not even loyal, just, just they did not see... The sport changing. They didn't. Yep. They didn't see what they had. They thought that they were going to be the Yankees, and they were just going to be able to reload free agent in free agency each year. You know, trade their prospects. It was kind of like the mid mid two thousands Yankee strategy, where they traded their prospects for veterans. They 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 supplemented via free agency, and they won a lot of games that way. Um, they stayed in contention that every year that way. But but the the free what they didn't see is the free agent market changing to a point where there just aren't people available. Um, you know, everyone. You know, I. I know a lot of people wanted Jason Hayward. Um, he just signed an eight-year, $184 million contract with the Cubs. But that's just not – that's a lot of money to be given to a guy who might not even be helping you until, you know, 2018. And but At which point – you know, I look, what the Phillies did not do is they did not maximize their opportunities to extend the window. You know, I mean, they right. got they, – they, they, you know, the Hunter Pence deal, none of those guys panned out. Um and there, there are ways to spend, quote-unquote, smartly on, quote-unquote, big-name players. But I don't think Hayward would have been the way to do it. No, I mean, I'm, not, I'm just not a huge Jason Hayward fan. I'm, no, I'm I mean, I think he profiles as a guy who, you know, there's some risk there. I mean, he's got some, he's got some funky mechanics. Um, he's, he's had seasons, off-seasons before. If you look at his numbers, you know, up until last season, they weren't a whole lot different from B.J. Upton's. Uh, or uh, I'm sorry, yeah, B.J. Upton's. Um, that that to me, there the, the the Phillies are at a point where all they the their best strategy for the free agent market is to avoid anything that could sink them before their window even opens. And carrying twenty million dollars a year in dead money, like imagine if they had to start their next window. Imagine if they if Ryan Howard was in the first year of his contract right now. Um, I mean, that's what you're risking when you're signing a guy to an eight-year, $184 million contract. Maybe Hayward's great next year. Maybe he's great two years from now. But in 2018, I mean, you're, 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 there's, that's a lot of risk to yeah. pay a guy. Um, if, if Jason Hayward helps the Cubs win the World Series next year, more power to him. I still don't think that would make him the right sign. No, I, you're right. I mean, and again, if this was 2018, maybe. Um, at some point, they're going to be in the market for guys like that. But you have to be, uh, especially since, again, if you sign Jason Hayward to an eight-year, $184 million contract, that's $25 million less per year you have to spend 
in 2018 when, you know, say Brandon Belt and Eric Hosmer are on the market or, or, you know, two years after that when Chris Bryan is on the market. I mean, everything has a, you know, everything has an opportunity cost and it's not, you're not just signing Jason Hayward. You're, you're signing Jason Hayward instead of signing somebody else in the future. And it just doesn't make sense for this organization right now. Let me ask you this. Who starts at catcher on opening day next year? Uh, I think it's a very good question. Um, I think that, uh, you know, I think it's a good question. I mean, I, I would say Carlos Ruiz just because. 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 But I just, the reason why I ask is. Put it this way. It's not Jorge. Yeah. It's not anybody besides Carlos Ruiz or Cameron Rupp, I don't think. Well, is it Aaron Sibia? Uh, I mean, Aaron Sibia, if, if it is, it, he hasn't done anything to show yet. No, obviously not. But I mean, he, he might be able to help spell some time. With this organization until, look, I think until in, a guy like Alfaro look, is really ready. I, I think in a best case scenario, Carlos Ruiz has a huge spring training and, and you know, somebody... I still think Carlos Ruiz can help a playoff team. Oh, yeah. Um, so if you, but if the problem is he's got to stay healthy and he's, right. got, and he's got to he's got to be productive at the plate. Um, if he is productive at the plate, do you trade him to a DH for somebody or is he... No, I think, I think he... I mean, his value would be... His value would be, you know, as a part-time... You know, as a... As a catcher who's an as an experienced catcher, you know who can hit a little yeah. bit. Um, but I mean, he hasn't hit nearly hit more than a little bit depending on the circumstances. He, well, he, yeah, hasn't right. hit, he hasn't hit hit nearly enough recently to be a right. DH. But you know, I don't I don't know how I don't know how I mean it's it's a question I guess. But I I don't know that put it this I'm, way on the list yeah. of things that I'm interested in in spring training. I think catchers catchers way down on the list. I, I think uh, the, the 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 real question will be I, I'm interested to see what happens with Ryan Howard and Darren Ruff. Um, you know, I can't believe we're still talking about that, no, no but, kidding. but <laughs> I mean, Darren Ruff's almost 30 years old. I think, uh, he might even be 30 years old. Uh, you know, we're still talking about him potentially rotating with Ryan Howard. Um, it's clear that I think it seems clear that Clintac is not going to be shy about whatever he wants to do with Ryan Howard. And he's already had no, some I mean, he's got no, him. yeah, he's got no reason to, I mean, Look, I think Ryan Howard at this point understands. I'm sure he's he's a self-aware guy. You know, I mean, he just he's not what he used to be. I mean, and and if the if the, if the Phillies could have traded him, they they would they definitely would have traded him by now. Um, at the same time, you know, you don't cut a guy just to cut a guy. I mean, right. I just Aaron Sibia intrigues me, as I said, because he's a kind of he is the kind of guy who's a very low risk. Potential yeah, fill in the I mean, gap guy until the prospects are ready to go. Yeah, I mean, this is a guy. I, you know, I think Cameron Rupp. I think and then like, trade him. You know, when. Yeah, but I don't. He, I just don't know. I mean, Cameron Rupp to me is like Cameron Rupp is your prototypical bridge guy. Like he's he's the guy who like gives fans some reason to think, some reason to hope, some reason to watch. But in the end, he's just kind of a guy. You know, he's just right. he's he's just kind of filling time. I mean, Aaron Sibia. Look, he was he was a people have been waiting for Aaron Sibia to break out for four or five years i mean he's not to say he can't do it but i mean at this point i think he's more of a name he's more of a name than anything you should count on but I, but that's you know i'm not i'm not i think it's a via look would i be shocked if jc jp aaron Sibia ended up hitting 15 to 20 home runs for the phillies i wouldn't be shocked i mean he's clearly got the tools i mean that's why he was a top prospect but at this point, I think this. I think this coming year will be all about the pitching staff and seeing how, which one, which ones of these guys, um, you know, what does Aaron Nola look like, you know, in thirty-two starts. Aaron Nola's got some. You know, 
how good can Aaron Nola be? I haven't seen anything that makes me think he's going to be, you know, a number one or number two. Uh, I think that he's, he's relatively low risk and he's absolutely, you know, a good number four. Um, but you know, Jake Thompson's a guy I want to see. Um, you know, Zach Eflin, a lot of people like, I'm not, I'm not a huge fan because he doesn't strike guys out at this point. Um, you know, Appel, Appel's a guy that like, I mean, this guy was drafted over Chris Bryant, you know, less than three years ago. I mean, that's, he's, this guy's got talent. And, and that was the thing that I was curious to hear what Matt Klintak would have to say about Mark Appel, because I was curious why Mark Appel is no longer Mark Appel. And, you know, Klintak said, look, his stuff is still there. The stuff that made him the number one pick in the draft, the, the consensus number one pick in the draft, by the way, um, that's still there. And, and that's, you know, I mean, he's going from the from a tough hitters park to a uh, or a tough hitters league, you know, potentially major league park to, um, you know, from the American League to the National League. I think, you know, there's a lot of reasons to think that that Mark, he, he to me, Mark Appel is the guy I want to see more than anything, anybody else in spring training at this point. Um, you know, and, and go right on down the line. I mean, th- I think the one thing that jumped out at me, um, listen to Clintock talk yesterday and just thinking about thinking this trade through. I think I started making this point like 10 minutes ago and I just never got around to it. But I, th- I think the Phillies can be okay next year. I mean, I don't think that, like I said, they're not going to be an embarrassment. I think that there's actually a scenario where if things break right, they can be a lot more competitive than people think. I don't think that they're, you know, it would stun me if they ended up, I mean, if they if they end up even going to the All-Star break within five games of first place, it would stun me. But, you know, I mean, if Nola... Put it this way, if, 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 if Nola lives up to his potential, if Appel lives up to his potential, if Hellickson pitches like he did, you know, a couple of years in, uh, in Tampa Bay, um, if Eikhoff pitches like he did down the stretch last year for a few games, I mean, right there. They're third in the division, it sounds like. I mean, yeah, I, no, I don't know about that. I mean, Washington's still. Right. New York and Washington are the top two. Yeah, I guess they are third. I mean, I, I, I. Yeah, you're right. That's, what a bad division. What a, <laughs> what a bad division. Um, put it this way: they're not within. They're they're third, but they're third. Yeah, you know, right. within, They're clearly third, but even so, you know, it's just. But uh, but the point is, is the problem with the last couple of years is you couldn't even see a scenario in which the Phillies would compete, um, in which they would be anything other than what they were. I frankly think they overachieved last year. Um, now you at least have guys that have tools that have stuff that have upside where, um, you know, if now granted a lot of, you know, the probability is very low, but there's at least a probability, you know? Um, I mean, if, if, again, if Mark Appel pitches like the number one overall pick in the draft, that's not a surprise because he was the number one overall pick in the draft. You know, if Aaron Nola pitches like the number seven overall pick in the draft, that's not a surprise because he was the number seven overall pick in the draft. Um, Jake Thompson, top 50 prospect. I mean, they've got a lot of guys that 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 if everything falls right, they at at, at very least will they'll only need four or five runs to win a game most nights. We made it. We did a show. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, go ahead and clean it. Like just <laughs> make me sound It was fine. It, now, and uh Michael will be back next week, we presume. And uh yeah, the three-man. I think what we learned is the three-man rotation is a. Uh, it's a it's it works. A, I need. I need. I need a better microphone. I had somebody tweet about that a couple of days ago. I got to go find a better microphone. Yeah. Than my little puny thing that I usually use. I'm borrowing Mike's 
microphone for the day. I I do a couple of radio hits from in here every now and again, which is why I've oh, nice. gotten used to it. Um, that's it for this episode of Not Another Philly Sports Talk Show, and we will talk again next week. Thank you.